Okay. You got your Bibles? We turn to Matthew 11. Thank you for lunch. It was lovely. Really nice. I had, what did I have to drink? I had elderflower presse. Only in Oxford people. I'm sorry. Elderflower presse. It was very nice. Very nice. <laughs> Why don't I read it again? Um, Matthew 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Folks, I want to encourage you not to... not to worry about the secret move of God in salvation but to worry about whether or not you are responding to the gentle, gracious loving invite of Jesus who says come to me all who labour and are heavy laden and I will give you rest in this context Jesus is primarily addressing the people of Israel who are feeling the real burden and pressure and oppression seeking to labour under the rules and the regulations that the Pharisees, those who are responsible to lead God's people to the joy of who God was under their demands. He was not addressing those who feel themselves righteous and worthy. But those who feel oppressed because of the religious legalism of the day. But you know what's interesting there? It said this, come to me all. It doesn't say, come to me children of Israel. Come to me all who labour. See, it's interesting. Jump up to verse 21. You see these woes. These woes of judgment. Woe to you. Woe to you. Now, I want us to hear that those woes from Jesus in verse 21 are not woes that come from anger, wrathful anger. But actually, I think they, those woes come from grief. Grief. That God's people, his own people, were rejecting his love because they had been blinded and they were laboured by sin. Jesus sees in front of him his people who were the treasured possession of the Father oppressed and burdened because of sinfulness and the brokenness of this world. And as a result of that they are blind to see the wonder and the truth of who he is. And Jesus' woe is a woe of grief. Folks, I want us to know Jesus knows and sees the burdens we carry. He knows and sees 
the issues of blindness that we suffer even as Christians because of the brokenness of this world because of the, the, the heaviness of labouring to try and justify our existence even though we know the truth that we are justified by what he has done for us now the woes are not woes of judgment because the judgment has been received but the I think there may be issues of grief but Jesus knows and sees the burdens we carry as we seek to make sense of the world by labouring to justify ourselves and what's interesting is I think when Jesus says come to me all not come to me children of Israel Jesus is addressing and inviting all people to come to him Jew and Gentile all those who he has created all those who labour and are heavy laden I think your version NIV is weary those who are weary see in this context God's people were burdened down by carrying the burden of the law now we are heavy laden in lots of different ways aren't we? lots of different ways we feel weary in our minds and our hearts and our souls because of internal circumstances and external circumstances and I think today I want us to hear when Jesus says come to me all who labour and heavy laden he's saying to those of us who carry and are loaded on our hearts because of sin pain unforgiveness guilt Jesus says come to me those of us who carry the load on our hearts because of sorrow, illness, illness of those that we love, even in this very church I've been aware of, illness of those that we love, our own illness, broken relationships, Jesus says, come to me. Those of us who carry the load on our hearts of self-justification, of proving ourselves, the fear of not achieving the weight of meeting expectations that we put on ourselves or the expectation of others, Jesus says, come to me. Those of us who carry the load on our hearts because of worry, self-loathing, anxiety, Jesus says, come to me. Shall I share before about Ella, about five years ago, just over five years ago when we found out about Ella, and I was doing an assembly in the local school, and Sean um, just texted me. She'd had the MRI. She said, can you come home? I said, why? She said, Ella. And I just knew something wasn't right. I just knew something wasn't right. So we got home and just that whole initial, there's a tumour. Okay, what do we do? Just get in there, get it out. We ended up going to America. We were there for about nine and a half weeks. And she had to have what was proton beam therapy, which is targeted radiotherapy, which is, the safest form of radiotherapy that, from, from what I understood so targeted radiotherapy in light of that you take your whole family over there you're involved in a church that by God's grace was growing and suddenly you, you're taken out of that context as a family plonked in a, in a place by God's grace with new people but you, you're in a new place you're trying to figure out what it looks like to live with a little girl that we don't know what the outcome of that's going to be and what it's not going to be and trying to walk through all, all those issues but by nature, simply, wrongfully, I'm the type of guy that has always been, I'll lead us through it. Always been, even as a kid. My dad lost his job when I was ten. My mum was disabled, eldest of five kids. He was unemployed for eight years. It was during the time if you were over the age of 35, you couldn't get a job. 
it was during those times, so he was a police officer, he lost his job, he was three years unemployed, five years, but I was like the ten-year-old kid that was like, I'll oh, get us through this. And that's how I just engaged in this situation. I used to say things like this to the staff. When I start to worry, that's when you worry. <laughs> that's just bonkers, isn't it? When I start to worry, because I've got it all. I've got it all sorted. I can lead my family through this. I can lead the chair through this. I can, I can sort this out. I was trying to carry this burden. And it wasn't until 18 months after we found out that I found myself crippled with anxiety. Depression. For the first time in my life, I didn't know my direction. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know... I didn't, I'd wake up on a Monday morning and all I wanted to do was stay in bed. I'd walk down the stairs of our house, I'd stand in the hallway and I wouldn't even know what room to walk into. I was all over the place. All over the place. Crippled anxiety, depression, and I confess this to you, people who had depression, before that, for me, I was like, oh, get yourself, you know, oh, I'd say the right things, but pull yourself together. I just didn't get it. I didn't get it. Well, the interesting thing is, I was trying to carry this burden, but I couldn't. And as a result, I was going under. I was going under. I was going under. But in the midst of that, Jesus graciously kept inviting me to come to him. Come to him. Come to him. Come to me, Steve, because you are weary and you are heavy laden, trying to justify your existence and trying to be the father and the husband, and the church leader, when actually I am a far better father than you will ever be. That my son is a far better husband than you will ever be. And it is my son that's leaving your church. He just gives you a front row seat to watch him do it. He was graciously inviting me. See, the interesting thing is, who does Jesus address? in the midst of proclaiming truth to a people that want their preferences and their experiences, who does he address? All you who labour and are heavy laden, come to me. And he offers us something. What does he offer? He offers rest. I wasn't rested. just wasn't. I had to process the issues of Ella, leave my wife, a church, I wanted to get it all together and I wasn't and, I, and it wasn't until I heard the impact of Jesus and I went to him that I really understood what it meant to have rest in my soul and rest in the circumstances and I know many of you are feeling that today in all different areas in all the things I listed issues of sinfulness and forgiveness and guilt and, and issues of pain and expectations of others and expectations upon yourself and and issues and the reality is this yes you hear the invite of Jesus but you don't respond and you don't go to him and actually we I thought by sorting it out I will find the rest for my son I will find the rest for my family that I will take them to the situation I've always done it before why can't I do it again down he was I'd never done it before it was the gracious call of Jesus who offered something wonderful which was to give me rest See, the interesting thing in the passage is that there was no rest for God's people as they lived under the burden of the religious legalism of the scribes and the Pharisees. What's that? No rest for it. There's the law, and then they added 600 other laws that they had to keep. 
And people were like, oh, over the, imagine, all over the place. What is this? The burden and the laden of God, God, God will, will only accept us if we live in light of these things. Sean leads a, a, a parents and toddlers group in our church. And there was a lady, only recently, a Muslim lady who, who comes along to that. She was sitting in the toddlers, toddlers group and she'd had some friends, who, a friend that had just died, and she was saying to the Christian parents in the room, I just really hope that they did enough to get into paradise. What a burden. What a burden to carry. See, the interesting thing is, restlessness is a characteristic of our culture. Agreed? Totally. Let's just be honest about it. Restlessness is a characteristic of our culture. People are hurried. People are vexed. People are restless because of failure, disappointment, worry. And Jesus says to our culture, who are characteristic by this restlessness, come to me. And I will give you rest, verse 28. But I won't just give you rest now, in the midst of those circumstances, I will give you a rest for your soul. A rest for your soul. Folks, Jesus Christ is the only person in history who simply offers himself as the universal solution to all of our burdens. Amen? He's the only one in history. Everybody else of any sort of inverted commas influence upon this world is if you go this way or do this. Or if you meditate in this way or if you keep these rules. It's just added burden. And all Jesus says is come to me and I am the universal solution for your burdens. See the problem that we have with this, I think, is that we want to play a part in the solution of finding rest. Are you with me? We do, don't we? We do. Because that just feeds into this, this sinful desire of autonomy. I, I, I can, I'm a law unto myself. I can, I can cope. I can, I can isolate. I can, I can get here. Yes, Jesus, you're going to give me rest. But actually, we struggle with the wholehearted, okay, I'm going to come to you fully in order to receive that rest, to know, to know that rest, to, to, to engage in that rest. But we have this issue. Augustine said this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Folks, Jesus calls people who are weary and heavy laden and he offers rest, rest for their souls. And the question is, how are we to respond? How are we to respond? Verse 29, what does he say? Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. See Jesus says, come to me all who labour and heavy laden. I will give you rest. And our response is we are to take his yoke upon us. And learn from him. That's what he says. Okay, I want you to take this yoke upon you and learn from him. Now, a, a yoke. We've got a picture. We had a lovely picture there of two, two cows. Can we throw that up? I never use PowerPoint. I was like, that's great. That would be great. I can use that. There we go. And I don't, you can see two, two oxen there. And it's got like this wooden thing across them that attaches them to, together. It's like a wooden frame. So, and this wooden frame was used to train animals. So what they would do is they'd take a young oxen 
that didn't know what to do, and they attach it to, to a more experienced, older ox. And they attach them with this thing, this yoke, and the older one would walk, and the other one would follow it, and when that would go, it would come across, and, and it was used, the yoke, for two oxen, and I think both experienced and not, and not experienced, to carry this, this, this heavy burden, this, this heavy load. And the younger oxen would learn how to do that. See, they would have got this straight away. One, because the agricultural illustration. But two, because to take a yoke upon you was to follow a rabbi. To follow a teacher. To follow somebody. See, the way Jesus would say, come to me, take my yoke upon you. In the midst of the yokes that are being put upon you by the religious leaders that are bringing this burden... In the midst of this culture, they're saying this is what it means to, to find rest for your souls and to live the good life. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Take my yoke upon you. Because I am different to everyone else that is around you. Come and learn from me because I am gentle and lowly in heart. See, the pharisaical interpretation of the law with its extensive list of prescriptions had become a crushing burden to God's people. Folks, in our culture, that we don't have these pharisaical, but we do have the laws of our culture that we have to live in the midst of. That actually many of us buy into. We did a series in our church called Disciples, Following Jesus, Making Sense of the World. And one of the reasons why we, we did it was because, because it, it, it became obvious that actually what was happening is rather than us being the light of the world, the salt in the culture that we found ourselves in, the church was becoming like the meat. Actually, the culture was colonizing the way that we lived. And actually, people were, were, were trying to figure out what does rest mean and what does the good life mean, what does the blessed life mean by taking the laws of our culture. And actually, we're being burdened by them. Simple ways like how we bring up our children. Simple ways of how we, what it means to, to succeed, what it means to, 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 to run a home, what does it mean to deal with friendships, what does it mean to even open up our own hearts and be honest one to another, that actually as the culture looks in and sees something different amongst God's people, is a real blessing. But the problem was, in our context, people weren't, and actually were being burdened by this law of the culture in Liverpool, in our context, of what it meant to live, to find this, inverted commas, rest that everybody is searching for. And it became crushing. See, when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he is saying, come and follow me. Be connected with me. Come and follow me. Come and be connected with me. And I'm going to walk you through this life. And as I do that, I won't crush you, because I'm gentle and lowly in heart. I won't crush you. And I will carry the heavy burden in exchange for the light, restful burden which is service to me. See the difference? I'm going to exchange that. For my yoke is easy, and my burden that you will bear is light. See, when Jesus says, Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Take my yoke upon you. What Jesus is doing, what he is saying, is actually something that he's going to do on the cross. Because Jesus takes the burden of our sin and the punishment of it, and the only burden we carry 
are the robes of his righteousness. Amen? That's the only burden we carry. It's the only burden that he gives us to carry. I will take your sin. I will take the burden of your punishment. And all I want you to carry are the robes of my righteousness. The robes of my righteousness. See, that's all good and well, isn't it? That is all good and well. And I believe that truth. You believe that truth if you're a believer. Amen? Amen. Yeah, you believe that truth. But Ella still has to have her operation on the 20th of September. Your dear friend still has to go into chemo. Still crippled with the fact whether or not I passed my exams and all the investments for putting in my thesis for a PhD and... I'm still struggling with the burden of carrying those things. I'm still struggling with the, the reality that actually I love my wife and she loves me, but it's just not what it should be. I'm still carrying the reality of this brokenness. So what does this coming to Jesus, what does this taking his yoke look like? What does it look like in the rough and ready? So the issue is considering the context of this of, of, of this promise that Jesus makes in the context of the passage, I think it becomes clear. See, in his rebuke to the cities, in verses 21 through, in his rebuke to the cities and the religious leaders that saw firsthand his miraculous work so clearly demonstrating who he was, and, and even though he demonstrated that, they still refused to believe in him. Jesus is saying, come to me. What he means is, believe in who I claim to be. And therefore, what I am able to do for you. You see that? Believe who I claim to be. And therefore, what I am able to do for you. And I think that's the issue. I think we can sit there and go, yeah, Jesus says this. But do we truly believe who he claims to be? And do we truly believe what he promises to do for us? And folks, here is where our burdened souls are tested. In the midst of your circumstances that may not change till Jesus returns. In the midst of your circumstances that will not meet your preference. That will stir up feelings that you will be so tempted to put as the arbiter of all truth at the top. In the midst of those circumstances, will you believe him? And will you trust him? Will I believe him? And will I trust him? Will I respond in that way? See, so often we want rest for our souls on the knowledge of how and when our burdens and problems will be addressed. Are you with me? That's what we want. Look, look, Jesus, I, I, I believe, I believe. But if you just let me know what is going to happen to Ella, then I will truly find rest. I just want to know, will the operation work? I just want to know about my kids. Will they come to know you or are they going to walk away? Because if they're going to walk away, I just, I just need to know what they are so I can prepare myself and I can rest in the reality of your sovereignty. But Jesus doesn't provide those details. He simply promises that he, they will be addressed. Amen? Either in this life or the next. He doesn't want our souls resting on the how and the when. As if we are wise enough to understand and determine them. 
He doesn't want us to measure the truth of who he is and what he promises by our feelings, our experiences, or by our preferences. He wants us to believe in the truth that has been revealed to us. And if we believe in the truth that has been been revealed to us, we find rest for our souls. Folks, he wants our souls resting on the surety that he will keep his promise. In the best way, in the right way, in the best time, and at the right time. When Peter says, cast your anxieties on me, for I care for you. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in me with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. Folks, you will find find rest for your souls if we believe in the truth that has been revealed to us. And that rest, folks, is a rest in the midst of the circumstances. My favourite verse in the Bible, Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. The Lord is at hand. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Be anxious for nothing but by prayer and supplication. Give your requests to God, and He will guard, and the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. Folks, in your circumstances, how do you rejoice? You rejoice in the Lord because of who He is and where He is. Amen? He's the right hand of the Father, so therefore you are in His presence. Amen. How do you rejoice in the Lord in your circumstances? Because you know that He is at hand. The original translation, He is near. Yes, He's near because He's coming again, but He's near because He's present by His Spirit. He is with us, walking with us. He is there. He is there with us as we carry His yoke, walking with us. Are you with me? He's there. Right in the midst, he promised never to leave us, nor forsake us. We're able to rejoice in the Lord in any circumstances because who he is, where he is, and because he is, he is near. So in light of that, in the midst of our anxiety, where do we take it? We take it to the one who says, come to me, who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I do that by taking all my anxiety, all my worry, all my concern, all my restlessness to the feet of the cross. And the promise is that peace that surpasses all understanding will guard my heart. Garrison, protect my heart. In the midst of this busted up broken will, he will protect my heart. And part of that protection is I will continue to believe him and trust in the truth that has been revealed. You know what's wonderful about that verse? Wonderful about that verse. I've just gone there. That's not in my notes. You know what's wonderful about that verse? It says this, let your reasonableness be known to everybody. You know what that is? That's not. And what I want you to do is have a stiff upper upper British lift and just pretend everything's okay. No. Let your reasonableness, it is reasonable that we are sad that our situation with our daughter. That's reasonable. But what people can't get their heads around and the peace that surpasses all understanding is the fact that in the midst of a real broken situation I find rest in the God who is with me and in it with me because he promises to give me rest people find that bonkers bonkers so when we find rest in Jesus folks there's a rest in Jesus that is real 
in the everyday of life. This is not just some theological concept. It's real in the context of mission in all these different ways. Let me just let, let me read this out. I wrote this out the other day. Let me just read it. I can't remember it. So I'll read it out. I just wrote this. Um, okay. I'm increasingly convinced that the way Christians face suffering carries more weight to a watching world than we realise. Our responses and lives create interest and challenge as they suggest, display and proclaim that there is another way to perceive reality. Mm. On Sunday I sat at the Cornerstone Church. I wasn't preaching and uh, I always get to sit to my, next to my wife usually if I'm not preaching. So I was sitting next to Sean. Ella was sitting next to us. Sean's mum was sitting there. And then next to me there was a lady called Sharon, her, her, um, uh, her son called Alex, then Sharon's sister-in-law Jamie there, and then next to Jamie was another lady called Nikki. Sharon and Nikki have worked with Sean as teachers for 15, 16, 17 years. 16, 17 years. And for, for years knew that we were Christian. For years. Ella got sick. Ella got sick. And um, they just observed and watched Sean deal with the reality of the brokenness of finding out that your daughter's got a tumour and everything that means. And in the midst of that, my brother got cancer as well. Let's throw that in. In the midst of that. And they just watched them, they observed. And what they watched and what they observed was a lady whose rest was in Christ in the midst of the reality of the circumstances that didn't shy away from the brokenness of what was going on but clearly was resting in Christ and it displayed to them that there is a different way to perceive reality and they wanted to know more. They wanted to know more. Folks, we can say we will come to Jesus and find rest in Him but actually taking the yoke upon us, trusting Him and living it is a different thing. And actually our response is that we should live in the midst of the rest. In the midst of that rest. That actually shines something different. And you want to know what the situation is? Nikki on the end has now become to know, come to know Jesus. Praise the Lord. Sharon here, if she isn't a Christian, is very close to becoming a Christian. His son is going along to a little youth group that we've got with Ella this side. And then Jamie, who's just heard all about what God is doing, seen something in the system, now wants to come along. And there's another lady who wasn't there called Amy, who, who became a Christian as well, who's struggling with all different things, became a Christian who was someone else we've been praying for for 10, 11 years. You see that, folks? Forget your courses, right? Forget your evangelistic explored. Forget your alphas. They're great. The greatest apologetic is gospel people living in the midst of of the reality of this broken world when their souls are rested in Christ. It displays something which is different and people get saved. So this rest is, is something that is real in the, in the midst of that situation. But not only is that rest that is something real, there's an issue, folks, also, that, that we've got to recognise that, that, that rest in Christ is not tapping out of life. Rest in Christ is not, not being um, uh, lazy in any way. I have that issue with a lot of young people in our church. You know, like, with all due respect, you, you seem to be mature students, and that's no disrespect. Mature students, everyone. We have like 18, 19-year-old guys who come who are, who are at university. And 
I, I said to them once, I said, look, if I hear one of you say that you're tired again, I, I'm, I'm going to smack you in the mouth. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, you don't know what tired is, mate. You, you, you know what I mean? Four kids, like, oh, you, know what I mean? you don't know what it is. And it's funny, when they get married and have kids, they're like, oh, you're right. You're right. You're like, you're like this, walking around. But, but, but so, 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 there's this issue of, oh, you know, I did a sermon about rest a number of, years, uh, a number of months ago. And uh, literally, some of the student lads were like, oh, I can't, I can't do that anymore because Steve... Steve said about rest, I just know I need to rest a little bit more. I'm like, how many hours are you in university? Six. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, you have to rest. You know what I mean? Are you with me? Don't get me wrong, I know students make hard, it's all relative, you know. But what I'm saying is, it's not an issue of laziness. Rest is actually something that we live in the midst of the reality of our lives. As we press on and we move forward. But it, folks, you may be busy. But you don't want to be hurried. Um, Chariots of Fire one of the best films ever made it's made on the Wirral in Merseyside a lot of it was made, it's brilliant and it's based on Eric Little a Christian man who was involved in the 1924 Olympics and uh, it's wonderful you see this, the picture of, uh, of, of, of Eric Little who's a Christian man and Harold Abrams so Harold Abrams is uh, uh, another, another guy both Harold Abrams who's a runner Harold Abrams and, and Eric Little were both meant to be running the 100 metres uh, in the 1924 Olympics. True story. Uh, and then when he arrives in, 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 I think it was Paris, was it Paris? Yeah, when he arrives in Paris, um, Eric Little realises the 100 metre final was going to be on a Sunday and he, he, his conviction was that it shouldn't run on a Sunday, so he changed to the 400 metres. Just, just like that. He <laughs> changed to 400 metres. It's really interesting, there are two things that are said by these two men. Harold Abraham says this in the film, I have ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. And Eric Little says, when I run, I feel his pleasure. See the difference? They were both busy in what they did. They both had to train hard. But I've got ten seconds to justify my existence. But when I run, Eric Little, I feel his pleasure. See, the work of running was an offering to God for Abraham. It was proving his purpose. Folks, when we think about rest, I want us to know that being busy is not sinful. That's the other, that the, the, we, we, we pendulum swing so much as Christians. Oh, we have to talk about rest. That means I can't come to church on Sunday because I didn't sleep on my... You, you with me? Many of you are busy. Mothers, business owners, you have demanding jobs in all different areas, demanding lives. Mums, you are the busiest people in the world. Mm. Respect. You are the busiest. Dads, we, we think we're tired. <laughs> we are, but we're not in comparison. Busy. But being busy is an external condition. It's an external condition. Things are in the busyness of life and issues of life, they're external. They bring a busyness, but being hurried is an inner condition of the soul. To be hurried, it means that I'm so preoccupied with myself and my life that I'm unable to fully be present with God, with others, or even with myself. It robs me of joy, of peace, of clarity, of purpose. And when we're hurried, we make wrong decisions regarding time and wrong, wrong decisions regarding physical rest and times of rest. So hear me, when I'm talking about resting in Christ, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about stop being busy. No, I'm talking about stop being hurried. 
That actually live in the midst of the busyness and the reality of our life with a rest for your soul. It's interesting, Psalm 46, let me just turn there, let me read this quickly for you. Psalm 46 says this, it it says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble and it's swelling, there is a river whose streams may glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. It's interesting, he starts off the psalm, he says, God is our refuge, even if the mountains fall. If the world goes upside down, it is bonkers, but verse 4, there's a river whose streams may glad the city of God. It's interesting, there are two Hebrew, Hebrew words for the word river. One is, my Hebrew's terrible, but I'm scouse, so it helps a bit with that. So, Nahal, Nahal and Nahal. There are two words, Nahal and Nahal. Nahal, it, it describes um, the floodbeds that are dry except in the rain, rain, rainy season. You know, like a floodbed, there's a river, but it's always dry unless the rains come. And then there's Nahal, which is a perennial stream and river that continually flows. Continue flows. Verse 4, there is a Nahar, that's the word that is used. Whose streams may glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. The writer of the psalm uses the word Nahar in verse 4. It is God's character, presence and promise that are continually available to God's people no matter the external circumstances or pace of life. You with me? No matter. No matter. And how do we enjoy that verse 10? Be still and know that I am God. Believe who I am. Believe what I promise. Believe who I am. Believe what I promise. Folks, I fight every day. And I'll be honest with you, in the last week, a lot. I fight every day to not allow my feelings, preference, to cloud the truth of who Jesus is and what he promises. And that I have rest in him. Not in other things. I genuinely can't wait till he comes back. Genuinely can't wait. This wonderful thing of rest that Jesus offers. It's a rest. It is a rest for my soul in the midst of this reality. But it's also a rest for my soul. Knowing that one day he is going to return. In all his fullness. And I'm going to experience that rest in all its fullness. When all the questions will be answered. When all the tears will be wiped. And death and all the issues that display death and sin and brokenness will be no more. Folks, in the midst of your restlessness, in the midst of actually sometimes being blinded to the truth that is before you in Jesus Christ. I want you to remember that there is a day coming soon when the sun will appear. And those clouds will be driven away and the mystery of life will all be made clear and we will rest in the judgment of that day. What do you do when you're down? What do you do, you do when you're sad? What do you do when you're breaking inside? When there are dark clouds all day and you can't seem to pray and you just want to run and hide. You must believe. You must believe. You must believe when you cannot see because you believe in the sun when it doesn't shine. You believe in the songs when they don't rhyme. So believe in your God. And rest in his love. For he is too wise to act as a fool. He is too kind to do anything cruel. And he is too great to make a mistake. 
You must. You must. Believe. Come to me. All who labor and heavy laden. And I will give you. Rest. Amen.